1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to focus this morning on just two verses, verses 15 and 16. Um, I'd like to, to read 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14 through chapter 3, verse 4 to give a little bit broader context. Um, but the only thing projected will be verses 15 and 16. So you'll probably want to follow along in your Bible. We'll read it and then we'll pray together for God to help us to understand it. Paul writes this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let's pray together. Thank you for your word and this time to come together over your word and to listen. Help us to listen and please supernaturally give us ears that truly hear, eyes that truly see, hearts soft enough to truly receive your word and be transformed by it. Help me to serve your people well. Lord, may your Holy Spirit reveal your thoughts to us now. And we come to you with confidence in that request, not based on how sinlessly we've lived this week or even this morning, uh, not based on our religious performance, not even based on how mentally alert we're feeling right now, but based on Jesus Christ and all the blessings that we have in him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. So the title of today's sermon is The Spiritual Person. We talked last week about the natural person. The spiritual person and the natural person are contrasted in this passage. And it got me thinking about just the word spiritual and how our modern culture thinks about that term and that idea of being spiritual and what spirituality is. Uh, it's a pretty common word you hear tossed about quite a bit if you read the right kind of books or the right kind of blogs or watch the right kind of TV shows. A lot of people who are not really interested in any one organized religion necessarily, and uh, particularly not Jesus Christ and Christianity, are interested in being spiritual. And I've heard people say, I don't really consider myself to be religious, but I'm spiritual. And I wonder what they mean by that. Um, and I wonder if you've heard people say that, or if you've heard that sentiment about being spiritual, but not religious, or I'm not really a Christian, but I am spiritual in my own way. 
Um, I did a little research this week. A uh, quick Google search led me uh, pretty quickly to Oprah's website. Um, and I'm not here to mock Oprah or any of the people she brings on. Um, that's not what this sermon is. But I, I think it's good to look at um, the people who shape the, the thought patterns and understanding of our culture. I think it's very important to look at them through biblical lens and see if what they're saying is true or not true or maybe if it's even dangerous. And I do think that many of the teachings that come through her network are dangerous in many ways. Um, but she has on there a course about spirituality. And uh, in that course, she brought on a lot of spiritual leaders from different disciplines. And it was very handy because I was looking for how do people outside of Christianity define spirituality? And it was very helpful because in this online booklet, each of the teachers from this course define spirituality. So it was very easy. She made it very easy for me. I'm only going to read one of them to you because I don't want to wear you out. I know I read a lot to you last week. It was story time with Matt last week. I'm just going to read one to you, and I'll, I'll just explain briefly what the others said. This one came from a, a Reverend Ed Bacon, who is the rector of All Saints Episcopal Church in California. He's one of the spiritual uh, teachers, advisors that Oprah brought on board. And he says, spirituality is a meaningful connection. It is about being connected with one another and connected with the cosmos. It is the process of being healed, forgiven, empowered to go into the world to be fully alive. I found that to be somewhat representative of every, what everybody said. The others had um, definitions. Uh, one felt that it was an instinct that we all have. Spirituality is the innate instinct that there's something more to life than the physical. Uh, one felt that it was the courage to ask the deep questions of life, such as, why are we here? Um, another felt that it was connection to virtuous qualities like love and patience and harmony and things like that. Another felt that it was connection to uh, resources that can carry you through tough times. Uh, Oprah had her definition, her centered around a determination to be optimistic no matter what was basically how you could sort of sum up Oprah's definition of spirituality. I think if I remember correctly, it was the, the, um, the, something like the deep conviction that no matter what, no matter what, you're going to be all right, you're going to be all right. And she repeated those. And, th- and then she said, that's spirituality to me. Um, I think these folks are well-meaning, but I find their understanding of spirituality to be very vague. And lacking any edges or, or honestly real substance to it. They, it sounds good. And it does sound generally like things that we want to aspire to have, you know. But I don't think if you pull back the curtain, there's much behind a lot of these philosophies. Um, I think that's sort of a Febreze approach to spirituality. You know, Febreze is where you don't clean the room. You spray Febreze over the, the germs, over the filth. And it smells a little nicer. You know, you spray that version of spirituality over your life and it feels a little nicer. Uh, but underneath that, you really need a bucket of hot soapy water. Uh, you really need something real, something that's going to be real. And uh, the reason I took you through that little exercise is I want to remind you today from this passage that Christians, we kind of own the term spirituality in a sense. Uh, Christian spirituality stands apart from any other version of spirituality. 
And, and I just kind of want to explain why with this passage and, and help you understand what that means. Um, you know, as the world talks about spirituality and maybe you have friends or loved ones who are groping in the dark for some spiritual answers and they're grabbing a hold of these teachers out there, only it's like a cloud, you know, there's not anything to grip. We have something to grip hold of on this level, something sure, solid. Um, so I think a good definition of Christian spirituality is this, having the Holy Spirit. And living in light of it. Christian spirituality is having the Holy Spirit and living in light of it. Now, of course, I know a secular person may not know what we mean by the Holy Spirit. It will require some explanation. But Christian spirituality is not found within yourself. Unless you have the Holy Spirit in there. It's not looking deeper into you. It's looking deeper into God himself through the Holy Spirit. So our spirituality is Holy Spirit spirituality. From what we've studied, we know that having the Holy Spirit means uh, receiving the wisdom of God that would otherwise be unattainable. No amount of transcendental meditation can get you into the wisdom of God. It is unattainable apart from the Holy Spirit. It's, It's wisdom to understand Jesus Christ crucified and all of the blessings and truths that that opens up of how we can be reconciled to God. That first gentleman spoke of connection. It's through Jesus Christ that we're able to be reconnected with God. Our sin moved out of the way and we're able to be connected to one another in fellowship. Again, our sin moved out of the way. And through the Holy Spirit, we gain access to the very thoughts of God, which still just blows my mind. It's one of the most mind-blowing things I've, I've studied in Scripture this year. You know, the passage we talked about last week, um, just above what we read, just as only my spirit knows my thoughts and therefore you can't really know my thoughts. You you can try to figure out what is he thinking, but you can't know because you're not my spirit. You don't have my spirit. Only my spirit knows my own thoughts. It's the same way with God. God's spirit knows God's thoughts. And when you're a Christian, God gives you his spirit because he wants you to know what he's thinking. He wants you to know his thoughts. And so you have his spirit, which enables you to understand what he has said, enables you to understand his thoughts His thoughts become your thoughts. His ways become your ways. That's Christian spirituality. Through the Holy Spirit being connected with the mind of God. That's amazing. Okay, so with that in place, we're going to look at a very strange uh, couple of verses, really, especially verse 15, I think is a very strange verse. I have loved studying this verse this week. It reminded me of the good old days back in Romans, like chapter 9, where he talks about how I hated... Uh, Esau, but I love Jacob and I, and we're trying to figure out all that hard stuff. It kind of reminded me of that to figure out what he means by this. Because if you read verse 15, the spiritual person, my translation is the ESV and it says judges. Uh, who has an NIV Bible open and can tell me what does yours say? Makes judgment. Okay. And who has a King James version Bible and can tell me what the King James version says there? Anybody? Okay, okay, so they all use the word judge. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. You could take that in a number of ways, and I could see as someone outside of the Christian faith thinking, well, that's kind of arrogant. You can judge everything, but nobody's allowed to judge you. 
And you could twist that and make it say some things that I don't think it's saying. You, you could say, you probably heard the news about uh, Josh Duggar this week. He's, he's a famous Christian who just has come to light that he's been involved in a lot of very sinful things, uh, very hypocritical activities. Um, could he use this verse and say, hey, I'm a spiritual person. I am to be judged by no one. So back off. It kind of sounds like that's what it means. Um, but I did a lot of hard work to figure out what it means. I'm very, I'm very excited about it. So y'all, y'all uh, put on your thinking caps and get on board because I'm going to explain to you what I believe this means. Um, really, this passage just offers us uh, two truths about spiritual people. It'll help us understand who we are as people with the Holy Spirit. So the first one, the spiritual person judges all things. I'm going to tell you what I believe this means and then kind of explain why I think it means it. I think what he means here is that the spiritual person is able to think about and live in light of both spiritual things and natural things. I think that's what Paul's getting at when he says the spiritual person is able to judge all things. The spiritual person is able to think about and live in light of both spiritual things and natural things. Okay, let me explain why I think that. First, the word translated judges in the, in the English Standard Version that I'm using, it's the same word translated discerned up in verse 14. That's why I put the two verses there so you can see it. I know it's a little small. I wanted you to see them both together. Okay, it's the same word translated discern in verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually judged or discerned. The spiritual person judges or discerns all things. The word itself, um, I'm going to explain to you what the word means, and this is not coming from my brilliant mind. Um, this is You guys can study words like this. If you have an internet connection as easily as I can, I use a website called biblehub.com, and it's great if you ever want to do any more in-depth study or check to see if I'm correct on some things. Um, it means to examine, inquire into, investigate, or question. These are possible meanings for this Greek word in English. Uh, if you want to get real literal about it, I know you guys do. I get the feeling y'all aren't as geeky about this as I am. Y'all need to get excited about this. It's the prefix that means up, completing a process, attached to a word that means to select by separating or judging. Okay? You guys are getting excited. I can see it. Uh, one person defines it as to distinguish by vigorously judging up and down, closely examining through careful study. So it's a, it's a meaty Greek word that in English we have trouble figuring out what English word to label with it. So it's been, uh, usually you'll probably find it translated examine throughout your Bible. Uh, but it's also translated judge, discern, or even appraise. Like you would do with an antique, you know, you check it out, appraise it to see what the value is. Um, so the meaning of the word itself leads me to think that what he's actually saying is, the spiritual person is able to think about and live in light of both spiritual and natural things. Let's try some of those other words. The spiritual person examines all things, but is himself to be examined by no one. The spiritual person discerns all things, but is himself to be discerned by no one. The spiritual person appraises all things, but is himself to be appraised by no one. 
you get the idea of there's a little fluidity in trying to figure out exactly what he's saying here. So then you need to look at the context to figure out what does he mean by the spiritual person judges all things. Does it mean that he sits in like a, you know, figuratively speaking, he sits on a big tall chair like a judge and just says, that's bad, that's good, you're dumb, you're ugly, and just makes judgments about everything? Of course not. The immediate context reminds us that he's contrasting the spiritual person with the natural person. Okay, this isn't aimed at being a detailed explanation of the spiritual person. He's specifically holding up the two people, natural people, spiritual people, and showing you how they're different. So what's the main thing that he's told us so far about natural people? They're not able to think about and live in light of spiritual things. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They can't accept or understand spiritual things because they're not, those things are spiritually discerned or judged. Okay, so by implication, they can only discern or judge natural things. They're stuck on the natural level. That's that's they hit the ceiling. That's all that they can discern or judge or examine. Okay, in contrast, spiritual person, the spiritual person discerns or judges all things, not just natural things, spiritual things and natural things. Okay, one more hint here. A little further down in what I read, but what's not posted here in chapter 3, he goes on to talk about these people in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. And it just clues you into his mind what he's talking about here. He says, "Uh, you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In other words, you're acting like you're just a natural person. You're acting like you don't even have the Holy Spirit. You're acting like you're only able to think about and live in light of natural things. But you have the Holy Spirit. So you're able, yes, you can tell when someone is an eloquent speaker, but you're able to think of a much broader context spiritually. So let's follow the whole train of thought through. Um, 1 Corinthians 1 from verse 10 all the way through the end of chapter 4, Paul's really talking about the same problem. You guys, you Corinthian Christians, are divided against each other on the basis of human wisdom. Which teacher you think is the better speaker? And you're dividing up into these little fan clubs. Remember, I did not come to you in an impressive display of human wisdom. I came in human weakness in order to better display the wisdom of God. Anyone can think about and uh, can think about and live in light of human wisdom. The Holy Spirit's not required for that. I want you to think and live in light of the wisdom of God, which is only revealed and received through the Holy Spirit. Natural people cannot think about and live in light of the wisdom of God. They don't have the spirit. But you can do both because, yes, you're still human, but you also have the Holy Spirit. So the spiritual person judges all things, examines all things, appraises all things, discerns all things. I was trying to think of an illustration to help us visualize this and the image of someone with decked out in full scuba gear, playing in a kiddie pool comes to mind. 
Yeah, I've never been scuba diving. It seems like it'd be so much fun. You know, you can go, you can go and you can see beneath the surface and you see all this amazing stuff going on down there. But these Christians, and sometimes we, have all the gear necessary to see on that level, but we splash around on the surface and we don't use it. And we act like all the people that don't have the scuba gear. But you have the scuba gear. You have the Holy Spirit. It's such a shame for us to operate like natural people. We're spiritual people now. We do this when we approach things in the same way as natural people. When we approach um, our work the same way as a natural person, without the lens of what does God say about how to operate here? We're operating like natural people, not spiritual people. When we approach uh, relational or emotional problems the way a natural person would, without the deep resources of God's word. And we're operating like natural people, not spiritual people. And when we approach our, our education, our parenting, whatever, uh, politics, when we approach politics in the same way as natural people, we're missing all the blessings of being spiritual people. The spiritual person judges all things. And I take that to mean the spiritual person is able to think about and live in light of spiritual things and natural things. Now, keeping that in mind, let's move on to the second thing he says here. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Judged by no one. Okay, I'm going to again tell you what I think this means and then explain why. I think what he is saying here is that spiritual people do not perform according to natural criteria. Okay, I know that requires some explanation, but I think what he's getting at is spiritual people don't perform according to natural criteria. I think there's wordplay here that's really lost in translation. The fact that he uses the same word those three times for these three uses, I think he's got some clever wordplay that just falls through the cracks when we translate it into English. Remember, what's the problem that he's addressing? You guys are dividing up and being fans of different church leaders based on natural criteria. Who's the best speaker? Who draws the biggest crowd? Who gets the most laughs? Who keeps me awake the longest? They're dividing over their conclusions. Let's look at some of the other things he encourages them to, to, for me to prove to you how right I am on this. Okay, one thing he tells them, do not say, I follow such and such. Remember in chapter 1, verse 12, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. He's saying, don't talk like that. Don't say you follow human leaders like that. That's what natural people do. He says it again in chapter 3, verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? That's what the people without the Holy Spirit do. He also tells them not to boast in people. In chapter 1, verse 28, God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, 
boast in the Lord. He doesn't want us boasting in humans. Okay, that's what the people without the Holy Spirit do. The greatest thing that they see is a really powerful person. But we see beyond that to the God of the universe. So he doesn't want us boasting in human performance. Another thing he says is don't give people credit for God's work. A little bit later in, verse, in chapter 3, starting verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. Don't give credit to men and women for things that God did. God didn't do those things to glorify those men and women. He did them to glorify himself. Worship is meant to go to God, not church leaders. And then my favorite part of all this, we haven't gotten to it yet, but we will. Don't take human appraisal seriously. Don't take human judgment seriously anyway. Down in chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged, using the same word, by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So I, I don't want to beat up Josh Duggar. Uh, I don't know him. I definitely don't want to crowd on him. I hope that God's mercy and grace will cover him and that he'll bring out restoration in his life and his family. But I mean, what if you had really elevated this young man as a, as a celebrity Christian and you wore t-shirts with his face on it and you had bumper stickers on your, with his name on your car and everybody knew you were a, a Josh Duggar fan. And then all this comes out in the news. You're like, oh man, I wish, I wish I had not pronounced judgment before the time. I wish I had, I had waited for the Lord to come and he would have brought to light the things now hidden in darkness. So we're not supposed to think the way the world thinks about people. Spiritual people, Christians, are not to appraise each other the way the world appraises each other. We're not to hold up the most eloquent, the, the most skillful on a pedestal like a celebrity. We have to stop acting like natural people in this way. Uh, we Christian people are like little children on Christmas morning who've been given an awesome present, but were totally distracted by the box that it came in. You know, we're given each time we, we uh, listen to a teacher in Sunday school or a discussion in house to house or a, a preacher, we are given the thoughts of God. And yet how many lunches have you spent critiquing the box that it came in? Who cares about all that stuff? Who cares about the box? We do this all the time. The way we embrace celebrity culture within the church based on natural criteria is wrong. And it always leads to heartache. I mean, how many celebrity pastors, mega church pastors have uh, come crashing down to their knees because of secret sin or, or something? 
you know, we celebrity Christians giving autographs and it's, it's just not healthy. It's not the way spiritual people think about one another. Uh, we fall into this natural criteria thinking sometimes in the way we nominate people for church leadership or the way we hire. And we need to be very careful about that. Uh, it would be better to have a truly humble, uh, wise in the wisdom of God, no-name Christian than a super powerful CEO, manager, get-it-done guy who's not in the word, who's not walking close with Christ. We don't think just, let's just get somebody good. We think who is wise according to the wisdom of God? Who is walking closely with Christ? We act like this when we critique the church based on natural criteria. Um, you know, this isn't America's Got Talent. I'm not a juggler up here. <laughs> um, across churches, across, you know, the world, that's not what's going on on Sunday mornings. It's not a performance. Uh, we need to be careful talking about this as a stage. Up here, it's not a stage. You know, that review, critique mindset is very poisonous in the church. That nobody's performing here. We're all in this together, pursuing the wisdom of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit through the word of God, all of which we are blessed with through Jesus Christ, not our, our excellence. You know, I mean, we do have to watch out what we take from a church service. Do, do you walk out thinking more about what you know, Matt was off today or you know, elements of, of performance? Those really aren't important. Now, I, I do recognize the need to be coherent. You know, I don't want to be sloppy. And I don't want anybody who serves in leadership of the church to be sloppy. We need to take seriously the opportunities we've been given and be good stewards of our responsibility and be as excellent as we can be. But not for applause. Uh, rarely is applauding a performance appropriate in a church service, I think. You know, we're not Roger Ebert reviewing church services. Whenever we approach things in that way, we're just acting merely human. We're acting like natural people. And we're not natural people. We're spiritual people in Jesus Christ. So I believe what Paul is saying here is the spiritual person is able to think and live in light of both spiritual and natural things, but does not perform according to natural criteria. Why is a spiritual person like this? And that's what we'll close with, verse 16. Why are we enabled to be this way? Verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I think he uses that quote from Isaiah to remind us of just how amazing it is that we have the mind of Christ. That through the Holy Spirit, we have access to the mind of God. Say, who... Who can know the mind of God? I mean, it's incredible what we have. And now we have the mind of Christ. You know, one cannot know the mind of the Lord through natural means. You know, scientific method, a big telescope, you know, none of that stuff is going to get us into the mind of the Lord. We cannot measure the spirit of the Lord with natural tools. Cannot instruct him with natural wisdom. We can't add our natural wisdom into what he's given us and, and, and enhance it. The astounding, humbling reality is that as Christians with the Holy Spirit, 
We've been given direct access to the mind of God. Where the wisdom of men leads to the exaltation of men, the wisdom of God leads to the exaltation of God. And if you're not sure if you're operating by the wisdom of men or the wisdom of God, you can use that test. Am I walking around worshiping the God of the universe or am I more thinking about the performance of men? The spiritual person has the mind of Christ. The way Jesus thought is now our way of thinking. The way Jesus lived is now our way of living. In Jeremiah, God was prophesying and promising what the new covenant was going to be like. And one of the hallmarks of it was, in the new covenant, you weren't going to just have God's law written on stone tablets outside of you. It was going to be written on your heart. It was going to go from being an outside of you thing to an inside of you thing. It was going to become who you are. And then all through the New Testament, we're told, be transformed by the renewing of your minds in Romans 12 two. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We're told over and over again, beware, beware, beware the conforming influence of this world. It will always be trying to make you think like it thinks. You've got to constantly be renewing your mind to think like Jesus thinks. For one big reason, because you can. Because you can. So I want to close by reading that last passage to you, Philippians 2. I think it sums this up pretty well, and then we'll pray. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8, says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, the mind of Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Man, that runs contrary to natural wisdom. But that's the mind that is ours in Jesus. He let go of everything for us. We can let go of everything. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I ask that you would um, Lord, help us to receive your word specifically. Not my words, but your word as your wisdom. Help us to be spiritual people, not merely natural people. Help us to enjoy all the benefits that are ours in Jesus Christ. And let us live in light of the mind of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.